Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, so good to have all of you out of all our churches, Blunstown, Chipley, and Mariana, as we are continuing our series entitled First Love. And as you've heard, Josiah is going to be uh, sharing with us this morning, part seven. And every time I get up to um, introduce him, I kind of get a little emotional because it just is a representation of kind of where our family is at in this season. In fact, at the nine o'clock service during worship time, I just had, had this thought, I was like, wow, is absolutely amazing. All of my children and all my in-laws were on in the service at the Mariana campus. Our grandchildren were in the environments for children. But it just hit me. It's like, wow, after 30 years of being in ministry, um, even my son was home from med school. It's like, man, to have kids who love God, but even more than that, who love the church is just a pretty amazing gift from God. And... Um, so it's, it's like, wow, it's pretty incredible. So every time Josiah gets up to speak, it just kind of reminds me of that because he's my son-in-law and, um, man, amazing young leader. But I also had to think, and the reason all my kids and in-laws are here, my grandkids, are because I have a great wife. They're here in spite of me, but my wife was amazing. So, um, hey, I'm excited not only for what you're going to hear, but who you're going to get to hear this morning. So, well, all of you, all of our campuses, we invite Josiah as he comes to share with us this morning, part seven. That's right. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so excited to be able to uh, be here with you this morning and to continue the conversation that we've been having as we go into part seven of our series called First Love, which is based on the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, or what we call in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is probably my favorite book in the Bible. There's so much that's there. It's been such an encouragement in my life. Uh, and I've been following along with you all throughout this series. And let me just tell you how important this series is for the church today. Such an important series for the church today. Whenever a church strives to love Jesus fully and then to love others the way that he has loved us, things radically change. Things change in our personal lives. Things change in the lives of our family. Things change in our church. Things change in our communities. Things change in our cities. Everything changes, and we need more of that change in the world today. And as we've been going through this series, we've seen what it looks like when a church embraces this first love principle, this principle of loving others the same way that Jesus loves us. Now, just in case you haven't been here or you've missed a couple of weeks in this series, let me just take, you, uh, take two minutes to catch you up on what we've been talking about so far as we've been going through the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. The Ephesian church was really interesting. It was started by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul invested three years of his life in, in it, into planting it and developing it and nurturing it. And then after he left, he wrote this letter to them to further instruct them in their faith and in their walk with Jesus. But one thing that we've really noted throughout this series is that just 30 years after the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, another apostle named John had this vision of a message from Jesus. And this message from Jesus for this church at Ephesus was not a very good one. And this is what he said in Revelation chapter two, verse four, he said, yet I have this against you. 
you don't love me or each other as you did at first. You have left your first love. So this is a church or a faith community that started out well, but they didn't finish well. And we've talked about how the undoing at Ephesus, it, it wasn't the culture on the outside, right? It wasn't the toxicity of the culture on the outside or the pressures on the outside that was hurting this church. It, it was a problem on the inside. It, it was starting from within it, the problem being that they left their first love, which was a really big deal because it violated what Jesus said was the most important commandment, that we love God and that what? We love others. So it violated this most important commandment. And so our focus in this series has been to remind us of this, that the church is a movement of people driven by the command of Jesus to love everyone as he loved us. And to do that, we've been going through this letter and praying that we would be a church that Jesus would commend because of how we exemplify this love to those around us. And we made it a point to be praying for each other as a church. And so this is what we've been praying so far. You can see it on the screen. And there's also these cards that were on your seat when you got here. The prayer we've been praying says, I'm praying for you, our church, to know God's love for you and love each other well. So you will understand God's plan for us all, which is to equip each other to follow Jesus more closely. So each segment of that prayer serves as a review of what we've talked about and learn in this series so far. And we're gonna build on that prayer this morning. And here's the part that we're building onto that prayer by living his example in our households, by living the example of Jesus in our households. Now, before we unpack what it means to live out Jesus's example in our households, it's important that we understand the culture of the city of Ephesus, right? Things change over time. And so when we have an understanding of what was happening it can help us with our understanding today when we can understand the overall culture and the tension that the Apostle Paul was creating when he challenged them to live Christ's example in their homes. The church, the church at Ephesus was really interesting. It was started about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. It was located uh, in part of the Roman Empire, which was the world power at that time about 600 miles away from Jerusalem where the earthly ministry of Jesus took place. And while there were some Jewish people that lived in Ephesus, it was predominantly a Gentile city, meaning it was completely different. Gentile just meaning it was non-Jewish. It was completely different. And so the apostle Paul, who was Jewish, he, when he went to start this church, part of, of his missionary method was to go into a town and find common ground. He, he would identify the Jewish people in this community like himself, and he would go into the synagogues, or kind of like our church today, their place of worship, and he would explain the resurrection of Jesus to them. He would explain the message of Jesus and help them to understand how Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah. He wasn't a deviation from the Jewish faith like some of the Jews were saying. He was a fulfillment of that promise of a coming Messiah who would save his people. And so as a result of this, many Jews in that area, they, they started giving their life to Jesus and started following Jesus. But if you've ever tried evangelism or tried, tried talking to someone about Jesus, not everyone's as accepting, right? And Paul faced that as well. There were also many Jewish people that rejected Jesus. 
They rejected this message that the apostle Paul was bringing to them. So what does Paul do? He doesn't give up. He, he leaves the synagogue, this place of worship, and he goes to the public square and he begins presenting this gospel to the Gentiles. And this is where things start getting really crazy in Ephesus because his approach to presenting Jesus to the Gentiles, it was completely different than his approach with the Jews because he didn't have any common ground with the Gentiles. The Gentiles, they weren't familiar with the Jewish scriptures or what we call our Old Testament. And the Jewish scriptures are what serve the foundation of the Apostle Paul's conversation with the Jews. But the Gentiles, they didn't understand that. They're, they're completely from a different culture and this is a pagan culture. Uh, they believed in God, but they believed in many gods. They believed in and worshiped many idols. And the message of Jesus that the apostle Paul was bringing to them, it would have been completely different than anything that they had ever heard in their life. In fact, even today, when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about, if you look at all the religions across the world, Jesus is unique. There's something unique about this relationship that we have with Jesus. And so, as these Gentiles are starting to come to the faith, as, as they're starting to follow Jesus, it starts this revolution in Ephesus because the teachings of Jesus, they were, they were so countercultural that they were disrupting the very fabric of this society. In fact, we can go to Acts 19 and it, it relays this story of a riot that breaks out in Ephesus. There's chaos in Ephesus, and the reason was because so many people were turning to this faith in this man named Jesus that it was hurting the business of people who were selling idols and shrines for the temple. And so these, these business owners were getting so upset, and, the, and this riot is breaking out. In other words, the gospel message was a game changer. It was an absolute game changer. I mean, imagine with me, you have people turning from sorcery. You have people turning from pagan worship. You have people turning from temple prostitution and they're coming to faith in Jesus. And not just in a way like in America, it's kind of easy to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. In maybe in name only or we throw it out there. It wasn't just in a casual way. They were changing their priorities in life. They were, they were changing their habits. Every aspect of the way that they were living was being changed as Jesus was changing them. They, they were all in. And here's the part that we can't miss in all of this. The entire city is feeling this powerful impact of these people coming to faith. And, and it was so much so that it was changing the culture, the very culture of the community. Jesus and his message, it challenged every religious and social construct of that day. And so when we say that his message was an absolute game changer, we mean it changed everything. And it's the same for us today. Jesus didn't come to just change a part of the game. He, he came to change the whole thing. He didn't come to simply offer improvement for you and I or for the Ephesians. He didn't you know, improvement or change the, the externals, change the outside actions and the outside attitudes. The Bible says that he came to transform us into a new person. We are transformed into a new person, completely brand new. And so if you were here last week, 
as we read through parts of Ephesians 4 and 5, Paul explained how we weren't just simply given a list of do's and don'ts. Right? Nobody likes a list of do's and don'ts. And if your relationship with Jesus you know, can be summed up or narrowed down to a simple list of do's and don'ts, man, you're missing out on the very, very essence of what it means to follow Jesus. Because following Jesus is about what we're becoming. It's about who we are. That's why the Apostle Paul said this in another letter he wrote to a church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians. He said, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. The old is gone. The new has begun. Anyone ever wish that they could just start over in life? Like that's, that's what Jesus came. He, he came and he gave us that reset. He gave us new life. And so the apostle Paul, he's, he's not focusing simply on a list of do's and don'ts. He's calling us to nurture this new nature that we have as new people, as followers of Jesus. Living and loving like Jesus, it's a part of who I am. It's a part of who you are. The things that we do, the externals, our attitudes and our actions, what we do, it always flows out of who we are. That's why Jesus didn't just come to change the externals, he changed us. He changed us from the inside out. And when that happens, I'm telling you, our understanding of right and wrong is upended because Jesus changes everything. I mean, our values change. How we use our time and money change. How we view leadership and authority is changed. I mean, Jesus completely flipped that on its head. He said that the greatest is the least. If you wanna be a great leader, you have to serve the most. Everything changes with Jesus. And so, in a pagan Gentile culture, people coming to faith would have experienced this radical transformation. I mean, once again, think about the makeup of the church at Ephesus. In, in this one crazy diverse church in Ephesus, you had Jews and Gentiles there. The Jews hated the Gentiles. They, they thought that they were no better than dogs. They were unclean. And now in the church, they're trying to view each other as brothers and sisters in Christ even though they dress differently and eat differently and have different cultural values and customs. Not only that, but there were also women in the congregation, some that came out of the, the pagan worship of Artemis, which involved a lot of temple prostitution. And so in this highly sexualized culture at Ephesus, many of the women coming out had a reputation. So you have Jews and Gentiles together. You have women with reputations. You also had slaves and slave owners in the same church. I mean, think about that. Slavery was pervasive throughout the first century. And some estimates say that there were more enslaved people than there were free people. And in this congregation, you have slaves that are following Jesus. You have slave owners that are following Jesus. And so you gotta picture this with me. You would have had all this various group of people they're gathered together to figure out what following Jesus looks like for them as an individual and also as a corporate body. And in this letter, in Ephesians, what Paul's doing is he's explaining the implications of Jesus' teachings and the command to love each other in the same way Jesus loved them. Everything was changing. 
And this brings us back to the phrase that we're adding to our prayer today. This phrase, by, we wanna follow Jesus more closely by living his example in our households. I mean, if following Jesus changes everything, if, if the way that we pray is changed, if the way that we know God's love for us is changed, if the way that we love those around us changes, if the way that we understand God's plan and purpose for our lives is changed, if the way that we equip each other and the way that we seek to follow Jesus more closely is changed, wouldn't you assume our households would change as well? What it looks like in the home? Of course it would. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. In fact, you can put it like this, that a relationship with Jesus changes every relationship. A relationship with Jesus changes every relationship. If I have a relationship with Jesus, my, my relationship with those around me starts to look like his relationship with me because he's changing me from the inside out. Now to help us understand how this is a game changer in our homes, we're gonna continue reading in Ephesians chapter five where we left off last week. Um, starting in verse 21, the apostle Paul is addressing, is addressing what the household should look like in light of the transforming power of Jesus's love for us. So he's talking about the household here and to help us get a full grasp of the impact of what's being said, we need to understand how a family unit was structured in the Roman Empire. Because if you don't understand how the family structure or how the family was structured, we don't understand why Paul said what he said and, and how radical his words to the church really were. You see, the, the Roman family structure, it was shaped 300 years before Jesus or Paul ever came onto the scene. And many of the cultural norms in, in Ephesus, in fact, had been shaped by a man that many of you have probably heard of before. It was a man named Aristotle, right? Aristotle was this Greek philosopher and he wrote many different works, but probably his most famous work was something called politics. And in politics, he articulated what's known as the household codes, basically the rules of life for a typical uh, family in the Roman Empire. And to sum up what he says, this is how he summed up the roles in the household. If, if I could just sum it up, it's that a husband and a father rules over his wife and children. A husband and father rules over his wife and children. The reason for ruling over his wife is because women then were considered disadvantaged genetically. They didn't have the capacity to lead themselves, so the man had to step in and rule over his wife. And then fathers would rule over their children because they were immature. They, did, they, they didn't have that capacity. And so this is the family code that's in place. And maybe some of you would even say it sounds somewhat similar to what your church taught you growing up. This is, it was a very authoritarian model for the home. This was the context. This was the culture that the apostle Paul was sharing Jesus with. And so when the apostle Paul addresses the household, and remember our, our prayer is that we would equip each other to follow Jesus more closely by living his example in our households. When, when the apostle Paul addresses the household, the question becomes, what is Jesus's model for the household? What is Jesus's example for the household? 
And thankfully, the Apostle Paul gives us the answer in Ephesians chapter five. And this is where we're gonna start reading, starting in verse 21. This is a, a long passage. We're gonna be reading all the way through chapter six, verse four. But I wanna read it all the way through once without any commentary, just so that we can get the big picture of what the Apostle Paul is saying about the family. So I'm gonna be reading from the NLT. The scripture is gonna be here on the screen as well. This is what it says, starting in Ephesians 5.21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Chapter six, verse one, we're almost done. It says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. I'll also add that children includes teenagers. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. And finally, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, if you read that quickly, it can kind of sound similar to what Aristotle taught, right? I mean, it says that the man is the head of the wife who should submit to him. It says, children, obey and honor your parents. But this is the genius of what the apostle Paul does here. See, he wasn't writing to establish a household code. He writes into a household code that already existed but he does it in a way that literally upends the very code that he's addressing. Because as we said, Jesus changes everything, including our relationships in the home. Now what's interesting is some people, if you read this, especially today, some people criticize, <clears throat> excuse me, the Apostle Paul's writing about marriage and parenting, saying it's, it's oppressive. We don't like the words like submit and, and all these, it's oppressive. But He's saying the exact opposite. He's, he's saying, husbands, you're not superior to your wives. She's not there for you to boss around. She's not there for you to keep subservient to you. That's not the way of Jesus. That, that's the way of the pagan culture around you. That's what Aristotle taught. That's not the way of Jesus. Instead, she's your sister in Christ, an equal partner in the gospel. That's what he's saying. And often whenever this passage is read, it raises the question of who has the authority in the home. 
But you'll notice something, is that the Apostle Paul puts much more focus on something else. Did you pick up on it? It's love. I mean, in fact, he uses the word love six times when addressing husbands. See, with Aristotle, a home function based on authoritarian hierarchy. But Paul is saying it's not supposed to be that way with those who follow Jesus. You see, a relationship with Jesus changes every relationship. So if, if a husband and wife are one, like it says, how can one dominate over the other? Husbands, if, if we love our wives as Christ loves the church, so much so that we would lay our life down for them, how can one dominate over the other and say that that's what following Jesus looks like? So who's in charge of relationships in the family? Jesus. The same person that's in charge of every aspect of our life. And the, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's calling us to a brand new version of family relationships. A family where everyone, regardless of status, regardless of pecking order, is living out the example of Jesus in their household. And he tells us what that looks like in Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight. <clears throat> he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of, here it is, a servant. Imagine that our God took the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the standard that we're called to in our family relationships. So if, if we could sum up what the Apostle Paul is saying in this, he's saying, husbands, treat your wives with excessive love, whether you feel like they deserve it or not. Wives, submit to your husbands. In other words, respond respectfully, whether you feel like your husband deserves it or not. Children, joyfully obey your parents, whether you feel like they really understand what's going on or not or whether you feel like they deserve it or not. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, lead them and treat them in a way with, with dignity, whether you think that they deserve it or not. Literally, he's saying that everyone in your household should be treated as Jesus treats us. And, and I love how the Apostle Paul, he summed up this whole thing in, the, in a single verse at the beginning of that passage we read. If we go back to Ephesians 5.21, he said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So everyone in every household is to practice living in mutual submission. Mutual submission. And no one as a follower of Jesus is exempt from this. And so I want you to just imagine and picture this with me for a second. Like how different would your households look if everyone in it acted like Jesus and lived with an others first mindset. Be pretty incredible, wouldn't it? If you're a follower of Christ, this is the relational standard that has been set for us. And here's the thing, and this is probably the hard, hardest part of all this, is just because someone else in your family isn't living this out, doesn't mean that you shouldn't. The apostle Paul, as he's talking about this, he's reminding 
them of their calling to love as Jesus loved us, not the rights that they can demand from other people or from the, the other members in your family. So what that means is, parents, you don't start applying this principle by telling your teenagers, you need to obey and respect me, right? Husbands, you don't start applying this principle by telling your wives, it's your responsibility to submit to me. Wives, you don't start applying this principle by demanding that your husbands love you excessively. No, 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 here's what it is. You begin with you. You do what God has called you to do. So men, let's love excessively. Women, respond respectfully. Children, obey joyfully. And parents, always treat your children with dignity and respect. This is what a family should look like. And so, what can you do to live Jesus' example in your household? What, every day this week, I want you to ask yourself this question. What's one thing I can do today to practice mutual submission better? Ladies, what's one way that you can respond respectfully to your husband today? Men, what's one way that you can love your wife excessively today? Parents, how can you lead and express dignity to your children today? Children, what can you do today to be joyful and respectful in obeying your parents? And listen, your family story doesn't hinge on your past experiences. I know that there are probably several people in this room that haven't had great family experiences. Maybe it was in a marriage, maybe it was in um, you know, a, a, a parent-child relationship, maybe it's with siblings. That's why when Jesus came, he came to change everything. And my family story of Christ changing our lives started with my grandfather on my, uh, on my dad's side. And that family was a mess. My grandpa was an alcoholic. Uh, child services was called on my father and my, or, or on my father's parents and, and their six kids many times in their life. It was a very dysfunctional family. And then Jesus came into the picture and it changed everything. Doesn't mean that it was perfect, but when my grandfather got saved, the family dynamic started to change. And then when my dad had, had, had me and, and our family, our family looked totally different. And now I'm raising a one-year-old son and it looks completely different. See, it doesn't matter what the curse of sin is taken from you or what your past looks like. It doesn't hinge on your past experiences in your family. Your family story hinges on your decision today the decisions that you make today to accept or reject the challenge of living Jesus' example in our households, to submit to one another out of reverence for God. And I'll tell you, in one month, uh, my wife and I will have been married for four years. I know a lot of you have a, a lot more um, years on me, but we'll have been married for four years, and then just about a month ago, we celebrated our son William's first birthday. And I'll, I'll tell you that having, be, being married, having a, a kid is the most fulfilling part of my life. Uh, I love it. I love my family with every part of my being. But I've learned something very quickly, and I'm sure that there's many people in this room that can identify with me. And it's that since getting married, since becoming a parent, it, it, it's selfishness and self-interest run so much deeper than I realized. 
Anybody ever experienced that, right, in your marriage or in your family relationships? Family relationships have a way of exposing that part of you. And I'll tell you, I've done and I've said things that I regret. I've had to apologize to my wife many times. I've talked too much when I should have listened. I've been impatient when my family needed my tenderness in certain moments. I've fallen short many times in exemplifying Christ and his love. But I'll tell you, I thank God that he's so patient with us. I thank God that he's so gracious because I know that I need that in my life. Just because I'm up here talking to you on a stage doesn't mean that I don't need this as well. We all need this. But here's, here's the thing is that God's heart is not that we have this picture perfect family. Sometimes on, on the social media, media, on Instagram and Facebook and, and all these, uh, th- these other platforms, we, we show what's best, right? The, the, the picture perfect family, the picture perfect self. God's not interested in forming a picture perfect family. God's heart is that we write a better story, that we write a healthier future for our families. And here's the thing, it's our story to write. And we can start that today, regardless of your past experiences, regardless of where you have fallen short. It's our story to write today, and here's why. Because God gives us the grace and the empowerment to write it. Remember, because he changed us from the inside. And how it flows outwardly, it's natural now. It's a part of who we are because God has changed our lives. So he provides that grace. He provides that empowerment for you to live that out in your families. Because when we place our faith in Jesus and and we have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus changes every relationship. Amen? So this week, let's continue praying for each other. The card on your seat with the prayer that we've been praying now has the addition of living his example in our households. So be praying for your family. Be praying for the families that are represented in this church and in all the campuses that we would exemplify Jesus's love in our families. And we also have prayer walls in the lobbies of all our campuses that we've been encouraging you to take advantage of throughout this series. You'll see that there's this blank card on your seat as well. What we wanna encourage you to do is write down a prayer request. How can we pray for you? How can we pray for your family. You can write your name on it or you can leave it anonymous. But when you're done writing down the prayer request, just take it to that prayer wall and put it in on the prayer wall and then grab another one on your way out and commit to praying for that prayer request throughout this week. Let, let's keep each other in prayer because we need each other. We need each other as we strive to live out Jesus' example in our lives and in our households. Let me pray for us as we close. Lord, I thank you that when you came to the earth, you changed everything. God, in all the forms that you could have come in, you came as a man that humbled himself and that served. God, there's no other religion in the world that has that reality of a God that would humble himself to serve. God, this is the kind of God that we get to serve. This is the kind of God that we get to worship every Sunday when we come here. Lord, you call us to to walk that out in our own lives. 
God, and, and I, I, it's as hard as it is sometimes, God, I thank you that when you came, you changed us from the inside first so that once we're changed in the inside, it can begin to express itself outwardly. And I, and I pray for the families in this room. God, I don't know their stories. I don't know their past experiences, but you do. You're well aware of them, God, and you came and you broke that curse of sin. You came and, and you broke that curse of dysfunction, God, and you've given us a new way and you've empowered us to live in it. And so I pray that we would step up to this challenge that the Apostle Paul lays out and that we would live Jesus' example of love in our household. And I pray that as we do that, as our household changes, as our family changes, that our church would be strengthened. That as our church is strengthened, that the community would grow stronger, that, that, that we would see the community and the cities changed for Jesus. God, this is what we pray. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us and for being here with us this morning. I pray that you have a great day.